Hi, this is Brad Constantine, and you've reached the Book of Mormon Lecture Series. I've been teaching seminary and institute for the last 11 years, and uh, this is an attempt to do a deep dive into the Book of Mormon itself. I'm hoping that you'll find this uplifting and edifying. This is not an official recording of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but every attempt has been made to be as doctrinally accurate as possible. So if you're ready for a deep dive into the Book of Mormon, here we go. Hi, and welcome back to the Book of Mormon podcast. This will be a discussion of 3 Nephi chapter 23. So Jesus has just quoted Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 54, uh, about the gathering of Israel and their coming forth in the last days. And uh, so now we'll get into a little bit more of an explanation of that. So verse 1, Now behold, I say unto you, that ye ought to search these things, yea, a commandment, it's not just a suggestion, I give unto you that ye search these things diligently, for great are the words of Isaiah. Elder McConkie said, If our eternal salvation depends upon our ability to understand the writings of Isaiah as fully and truly as Nephi understood them, and who shall say that such is not the case, how shall we fare in that great day when with Nephi we shall stand before the pleasing bar of him who said, Great are the words of Isaiah. It just may be that my salvation, and yours also, does in fact depend upon our ability to understand the writings of Isaiah as fully and truly as Nephi understood them. For that matter, why should either Nephi or Isaiah know anything that is withheld from us? Does not that God, who is no respecter of persons, treat all his children alike? Has he not given us his promise and recited to us the terms and conditions of his law, pursuant to which he will reveal to us what he has revealed to them? In the Bible dictionary, uh, it says, Isaiah is the most quoted of all the prophets, being more frequently quoted by Jesus, Paul, Peter, and John in his revelation than any other Old Testament prophet. Likewise, the Book of Mormon and the Doctrine and Covenants quote from Isaiah more than from any other prophet. The Lord told the Nephites that great are the words of Isaiah, and that all things Isaiah spoke of the house of Israel and of the Gentiles would be fulfilled. The reader today has no greater writ written commentary and guide to understanding Isaiah than the Book of Mormon and the Doctrine and Covenants. As one understands these works better, he will understand Isaiah better. And as one understands Isaiah better, he more fully comprehends the mission of the Savior and the meaning of the covenant that was placed upon Abraham and his seed by which all the families of the earth would be blessed. Verse 2, For surely he spake as touching all the all things pertaining to my people, which are of the house of Israel. Therefore it must needs be that he must speak also to the Gentiles. The gathering of Israel includes the invitation to the Gentiles to gather with Israel. Verse 3, And all things that he spake have been and shall be. Many of Isaiah's prophecies have dual meaning. They pertain to Isaiah's day or a future day to Isaiah and to our day as well. Even according to the words which he spake, Hugh Nibley said, that quotation alone spares us the trouble of an apology for Isaiah. The book of Isaiah is a tract for our own times. Our very aversion to it testifies to its relevance. It is necessary to remind us of its importance. However, because Isaiah's message has not been popular, and he tells us why. The wicked do not like to be told about their faults, says Isaiah. The people of Israel want to hear smooth things. Prophesy not unto us right things. Speak unto us smooth things. And that was in Isaiah chapter 30. And ever since, the process of interpreting Isaiah has been one of smoothing him out. Here the Savior essentially says to the Nephites, You can trust Isaiah. Many of the things of which he prophesied have already taken place. Many more shall yet come to pass. His word is true and faithful. Jesus may also have intended to convey the idea that Isaiah's words have dual or multiple fulfillment. Thus the past becomes the key that unlocks the future. As history has its cycles, so prophecies have multiple fulfillments and repeated applications. 
Isaiah's prophecies or events now past, now past foretell events yet future. The past is the stage upon which the future is portrayed. The scriptures thus have a timeless value and an endless or any and an eternal relevance. That was by Millet McConkie. Victor Ludlow said, Isaiah, when facing a difficult teaching situation, did not use the parable as a tool. Instead, he veiled his message in clouds of symbolism, poetry, and complex terminology. In other words, instead of speaking at a simple level and letting his listeners build upon that foundation, Isaiah spoke at a high intellectual and spiritual level, thus challenging or even forcing his listeners to attain that level before they could begin to understand his words. Isaiah was not only difficult, he was deliberately difficult. We must study his words, wrestle with them, and ponder them at great length before his powerful, sublime teachings begin to emerge and inspire us. Because of this, it is easy to become discouraged and give up before we begin to understand his message. However, through serious and prayerful study, when we finally grasp the language and ideas of a particular chapter until they not only make sense, but enlighten and inspire as well, we realize that we have arrived at a profound level of understanding. Verse 4, Therefore give heed to my words, write the things which I have told you, and according to the time and the will of the Father they shall go forth unto the Gentiles. And whosoever will hearken unto my words, and repenteth, and is baptized, the same shall be saved. Search the prophets, for many there be that testify of these things. Jesus further declared that those who would hearken to the words, which included the commandment to search Isaiah, and would repent and be baptized, would be saved. Is our salvation dependent upon our diligence in heeding the commandment to search Isaiah? That was by Monty Nyman. Verse 6. And now it came to pass that when Jesus had said these words, he said unto them again, after he had expounded all the scriptures unto them which they had received, he said unto them, Behold, other scriptures I would that ye should write that ye have not. The Lord is going to give some scriptures from Malachi as well as the prophecies of Samuel the Lamanite. And it came to pass that he said unto Nephi, Bring forth the record which ye have kept. And when Nephi had brought forth the records and laid them before him, he cast his eyes upon them and said, Verily I say unto you, I commanded my servant Samuel the Lamanite that he should testify unto this people that at the day that the Father should glorify his name in me, that there were many saints who should arise from the dead and should appear unto many and should minister unto them. And he said unto them, Was it not so? And his disciples answered him and said, Yea, Lord, Samuel did prophesy according to thy words, and they were all fulfilled. And Jesus said unto them, How be it that ye have not written this thing, that many saints did arise and appear unto many, and did minister unto them? So it looks like Jesus understands and can read Reformed Egyptian. Verse 12, And it came to pass that Nephi remembered that this thing had not been written. And it came to pass that Jesus commanded that it should be written. Jesus is truly the author of the Book of Mormon. No wonder Joseph Smith said it's the most correct book ever written. Therefore, it was written according as he commanded. Elder Maxwell said the resurrected Jesus made a special point of ensuring that this glorious event, witnessed alike on two hemispheres and in which all mortals have an inexpressibly important and personal stake, was likewise carefully recorded. In fact, Jesus, noting the neglect of Samuel's prophecy, commanded that it be written. No wonder, for he anticipated the subsequent reactions to the reality of the resurrection, such as those of the Athenians, to Paul's preaching. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, and others said, We will hear thee again on this matter. Jesus, the Jehovah of the Old Testament, who had been so careful to see that much lesser facts were carefully established in the mouths of two or three witnesses, 
insisted that the two central facts of human history, the atonement and the resurrection, be fully established in the pages of the two great written witnesses of him and the resurrection. Such careful correlation and amplified attesting would surely not surprise previous prophets, nor should it us. The, the above is not recited just to note how reassuringly tidying the restored gospel is, but how impressively exacting about facts the Lord is. Instead, one should ask, what knowledge does the world need to have more than the sure testimony and evidence that Jesus is the Christ and that his atonement actually accomplished God's great plan of redemption, whereby mankind will be blessed with immortality? In a world filled increasingly with drift, disbelief, and despair, what more welcome good news could be given? Verse 14, And now it came to pass that when Jesus had expounded all the scriptures in one, showing how all the scriptures testify of Christ, Jesus liked or just like Jesus did to the two on the road to Emmaus, which they had written, he commanded them that they should teach the things which he had expounded unto them. In one sense, to say that Jesus expounded all scriptures in one may mean that our Lord taught the entire plan, or taught the people the entire plan of salvation out of the scriptures, perhaps even opening the heavens and providing the visions necessary to understand what had been, what was, and what was to come. Such a panoramic vision might not be unlike what was vouchsafed to Enoch, Moses, Nephi, the brother of Jared, or Joseph Smith. Of his own experience in vision, Joseph Smith said, Nothing could be more pleasing to the saints upon the order of the kingdom of the Lord than the light which burst upon the world through the vision. Now he's talking about section 76 of the Doctrine and Covenants. Every law, every commandment, every promise, every truth, and every point touching the destiny of man from Genesis to Revelation, where the purity of the scriptures remains unsullied by the folly of men, go to show the perfection of the theory of different, type, of different degrees of glory in the future life, and witness the fact that the document is a transcript from the records of the eternal world. On a later occasion, the prophet explained, I could explain a hundredfold more than I ever have the glories of the kingdoms manifested to me in the vision were I permitted, and were people prepared to receive them. I bear testimony that these things are true, and that as we um, look to the future and the words of Isaiah, that that will help us better understand the gospel. And I bear that testimony in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. See you next time.